Welcome to episode 223 of Troubadours and Rock-On Tours with yours truly, E.W. Conundrum Demure. On this week's program, we have as our featured guest a good friend and a long-time contributor, Rachel Lucille Woodworth, artist, musician, and very cool woman. We discuss with Rachel how to live intentionally about her trip we talk going to get a coffee table with Yanis. We discuss the film class she's taking at present, her work in the studio for her new album. We also discuss the current of human condition, what is normal, the notion that time is running out in the minds of many Americans, how we seem to want to separate ourselves, even though it might not be the best thing. We discuss political weirdness, the global war machine, being a good person, having a positive take on life, and uh, several other really interesting ideas, too. Rachel Lucille Woodworth on this week's program. We also have an essay from psychiatrist Professor Anna Fells and an EW essay titled Original G and a poem titled As It Were. All of this, of course, interspersed with several great tunes. Thanks for listening. Let's get to it. Episode 223 of Troubadours and Rock On Tours. When we dance together, my world's in disguise. It's a fairyland tale that's come true. And when you look at me with those stars in your eyes, I could waltz across Texas with you. Waltz across Texas with you in my arms. Waltz across Texas with you. A storybook ending I'm lost in your charms And I could waltz across Texas with you Oh, buddy, now And troubles are just up and gone The moment that you come in view And with your hand in mine, dear I could dance on and on 
And I could waltz across Texas with you Waltz across Texas with you in my arms Waltz across Texas with you Like a storybook ending I'm lost in your charms And I could waltz across Texas with you Original G. Intentionally, we segue in and out of our own perceived versions of reality, though some have argued there is only one objective rendition. But alas, of course, our species is seasoned strong with a taste for competition, thus the need to contrast conflict, conflate, and discombobulate in a quest to fit in or to be original, to suppress, to win. We do it for fun. We do it as a means of torturous drama within ourselves and towards strangers and close quarters kin as well. Contemporary, near-historic, prehistoric, no matter, whilst the covenant of this soulful, visceral existence shines and, two clouds over the propensity we have for aggressive, for not believing persists, all vagary aside, to the utmost extent, and still the slow, steady pulse, sometimes fed to the deepness of hate, our kind will all too often remind that we have a lot of room, internal and outside, to evolve. All is one until there is none and then we can clearly share the bright streams of light unabashed. Stick to 
Rachel Lucia Woodworth, is that you? It is me, E.W. How are you? Good. Good. Nice to hear your voice. It's nice to hear your voice as well. So, uh, are you ready to talk with me and our throngs of listeners about... Well, I have a couple things on the list. Uh, First of all, I didn't tell you about this one. Um, How about you tell us a little bit about your trip to pick up a cool coffee table? Oh, (laughs) yes, today was antiquing day. Um, Well, I went to Yours Antiques in uh, Pittston, Pennsylvania, uh, on South Main Street or Main Street. That main strip in uh, in Pittston, mm-hmm. I think it's just called Main Street, um, and it's really a wonderful shop. Uh, you you get addicted though once you walk in. I mean, you you seriously imagine imagine yourself having a mansion to fill <laughs> with just antiques. <laughs> yeah, um, I know that. And the owner <laughs> and the owner Paul is, is really wonderful. Um, he gives great deals. We were able to get a coffee table and a side table, mid-century modern, um, 1960s, late 60s era, it looks like, uh, for 50 each, which is quite good. And, uh, yeah, I, I, I don't know what else to say about it. It was, <laughs> it was an adventure. Um, Pittston is really um, an interesting sort of old-school, quaint town. Um, with an industrial background as well, and um, it has a lot of charm. Yeah, it does. I I knew it would be an adventure for you because uh, I, I kind of understand how you embrace the uh, the day, the the existence that you have. So I thought, well, I'm going to ask her about her her trip, knowing that you were you were going on it today. Um, any any um, unexpected sort of uh, circumstances or or interactions? Um, well, it's always interesting interacting with other people that are antiquing as well. Um, there was another couple inside the store, and though we didn't exchange any personal um, information or anything like that, we were discussing the antiques all together, you know, uh, as if we knew each other, and it was very interesting. Yeah, it's kind of like you're bonding through your quest. <laughs> Yes, the uh, the hoarders. Bonding, bonding is hoarder. <laughs> <laughs> well, ladies and gentlemen, by the way, this again is Rachel Lucille Woodworth, and she is an artist, a musician, actress, and many other things. A uh, friend of mine and um, regular contributor to the program. And I, I thought that would be a good way to segue into another uh, avenue of, of discourse that you mentioned you'd like to go down. And that is living intentionally as opposed to reactionary. Well, um, I think this is a really important topic at the moment because there are so many things that are inciting um, very intense reactions, um, you know, and rightly so. I mean, we should all be outraged at every second of the day. Uh, But the question is, do we want to be outraged every second of the day? I mean, is that how we want to expend our energy? Or, or can we find more productive um, and insightful ways to, um, to go about living instead of just always reacting to what's, uh, what's being fed to us all the time about everything, really? I mean, 
uh, I heard this really interesting way of describing uh, what living intentionally is, and it's saying that um, the society around you creates a current, and living intentionally is stepping back from from that river, from that current, and observing it and watching it and deciding mindfully, you know, does this current serve who I am as a soul and as a human being and the things that I want to accomplish and the things that I want to create and the energy that I want to put into my life. And it's really just being aware of that, observing the river and saying, is this the direction you know that I want to contribute to or that I want to go down? Right. I like the way that uh, sounds. And, and do you think, I mean, do you find that it's easy for one to be sucked into that current? It's so easy. It's so incredibly easy. I mean, I myself am guilty of it. Now there's just so many ways that, you know, uh, things can capture our attention with social media. Um, it's very easy because as, as humans, we want to care, you know, and there, there are so many things that um, can just push our buttons or appeal to that nurturing side of us, or to that, that side of us that's really empathetic. And, you know, I, I can catch myself reading a list of, you know, a thousand comments and just observing society and, and wondering, like, is this really how people think? I, I can't even wrap my head around it, you know. Um, do, do you think uh, what you're experiencing is because maybe you're not normal? <laughs> define normal <laughs> well like it, normal means basically it doesn't mean right or wrong it means what most everybody else is doing or, or thinking or how everybody else is acting maybe you know when you look at all those comments and i i could totally understand where you're coming from because i feel that way too quite often uh, reading all those comments and saying what the, really this is this is where people want to go with their 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 energy or their their uh, their th thoughts about how to to exist how to how to live uh is it maybe i don't know if it's an intrinsic thing uh or if it's choice where you, the norm is not who you are when you are taken aback by what you're you're seeing in in social media or is everybody in the same predicament but they just don't know how to step back from that curtain, current, as you mentioned. I really think it's that. I mean, I, re I really think a lot of people don't know how to disconnect. Um, you know, if you if you haven't grown up with with someone telling you, you know, how you can connect to yourself, or or you haven't found it by yourself, maybe you don't have anyone telling you how to do it. Maybe you just felt it. You know that that you needed to take a step back from all the things that people are laying out in front of you and telling you, you know, this is how you have to think, this is how you have to live, this is what you have to have done by age 25. Um, you know, I I was interacting with a musician and he was 25 and he was telling me like, you know, I keep telling myself that every year is my year and then I'm going to make it and I'm 25 now and time is running out. You know, like <laughs> I'm 25 and time is running out. Yeah. This, this is this is an insane mentality. Um, 
Do you think you know, it's that, unique to us, we here in the United States? I mean, you've been around uh, the world. You've lived in Greece for a while, at least a decade. Do you think that mentality is more prevalent here in, in the United States of America? Um, I definitely think it's more prevalent here. Uh, there seem to be there seems to be more of like a familial um, network in a lot of other countries, and so children aren't. Um, aren't pushed to be so independent from a young age. Uh, and I'm not saying it's good or bad, but it is different. Uh, I, I feel like sometimes here in America, the whole thing is like separating yourself and becoming your own person, completely independent of anyone else. And, you know, and not having to rely on anyone ever for anything and sort of just being isolated. Um, I really feel that, that that is very prevalent here, and uh, I haven't seen it in other countries in the same way. Um, yeah. You know, that's that's the American dream, right? You know, just uh, acquire as many things as completely possible, become as successful as possible um, on material terms, and uh, you don't need anyone to do it either. You're just completely independent. You did it all by yourself. Which is a fallacy because to uh, gain that sort of definition of success, you have to align yourself with certain groups and and uh, buy into certain uh, paradigms and philosophies. Uh, otherwise, you're not going to have access to to the means by by which you can buy all those things and get that status. So it's not really true. You're not an individualist, uh, independent person, uh, and at the same time becoming very wealthy, I don't think. I really, or with a lot of, uh, I mean, some people, sure, but most, no. I think you have to you have to sort of give yourself up. Oh, well, but I'm just saying the perception that people have of themselves, right. like from an e ego standpoint, is they like they just believe I did it all by myself. There was no one that was involved, you know. And that's not that's really not how the human race is. I mean, we're so interconnected uh, on so many levels. Our energy affects each other in so many ways. Uh, you know, we can't be cut off from that. And and that's the thing too. It's like you know, uh, when you step back from the current. And you realize that it's not just the river, it's the whole scene, you know, it's the trees, it's the mountains around, it's, you know, the other inhabitants of the forest. Uh, you know, that's when you start to realize that there's there's definitely a bigger, more connected picture. Oh, I love the way you're talking, especially since we're, we're going, we're getting close to Earth Day, very ecosystem uh Centric, the way you're you're uh, you're describing it, and, and great great metaphors too. Uh, yeah, there's a diversity to your existence, which means there is an interdependence for sure. And if you if you choose not to see that, then I don't, it's not healthy in in many ways, and it's not it's not really, I think, um, re reflective of of the the dynamic uh, world that we are are a part of. Oh, I completely agree. I mean, I'm just really, you know, it's something that I I see so much around me though now, um, and I I don't really feel a part of it, and it's it's hard to find a way to um, to coexist with that, 
you know, when it's all around you. Um, what do that you mean? Egocentric. Uh, oh, the egocentric. Go ahead. I'm sorry. Yeah, that egocentric way of thinking, how people operate. Um, yeah, it's it can be a little bit disheartening. Yeah, I, I, you know, it's. Are you alluding to besides, I guess, uh, the materialism and and again that that mentality of uh, success? You also talking about maybe politics. I didn't want to get specific about it, but I mean, <laughs> it's just glaringly there. Uh, direct representation of everything that we're talking about, you know, plain as day. Yeah. Um, and because I, tr I try to stay out of the political realm. Uh, I, I try to be almost nonpartisan because I, I, I don't feel that my way of thinking aligns with um, either uh, major party. So maybe, of course, leaning more towards Democratic, but um, I, I don't like to be defined in those categories. So, um, you know, I don't want to say anything about one being better than the other, but, but, I mean, obviously we can see, you know, if these policies are supported uh, by a vast majority of people in our country, then we're, we're very much in trouble. Yeah. Yeah. And policies, I guess you're talking about that regard, uh, the needs of, of individuals via social programs, the, uh, taking care of our natural environment, uh, things of that nature, I suppose you mean, right? Yes. Yes. Very much so. Um, and it just seems like, I mean, it just seems like it's everything. It seems like, you know, that this administration wanted to go in and just ruin everything, any progress that has ever been made in any way. <laughs> I know, it's ever. bizarre. It really is bizarre. <laughs> and do you, do you think it's very, I mean, this I think about this all the time. I'm like, can this actually even be possible that, you know, that someone would want to cause that much destruction uh, and hardship and, People don't even really blink an eye. A lot of people don't even blink an eye. They they just think, okay, you know, that's what they're going to do. I, I, yeah, I don't. I don't. I'm trying to figure it out, uh, Rachel. I, I'm not sure what if it's if it's really happening, uh, and or if it's going to be allowed to happen to the extent that uh, uh, 45 says and his and his people say they want it to happen. Uh, because now a lot of the stuff is just um, being crafted into into legislation or policy, but you know, it, how could you just come in and, and go the opposite direction of what has been going on for the last eight years at least? Some of the efforts we've been trying to make, but maybe we're just biased. You know, that we thought things were going in a, in a relatively speaking good direction. Uh, not totally, of course, but for the most part. Um, and now this new group comes in and says, "No, no, no! All of that we're gonna we're gonna totally flip into a, the opposite direction or take away." Yeah, it's weird um, to me too. And you wonder. I why. really feel like they're playing with us. I mean, this happened to me over in Greece. I I've, I've mentioned this a lot to a lot of people that I I've come across when we get into political discussions. Um, you know, I'm I met someone that was in a family of one of the largest defense companies in the world. 
And he actually disowned his family because he couldn't be a part of the global war machine. And he told me that the way things are set up, you know, we're not that aware of it, but, you know, obviously, like, the political um, interests are are set up around these large uh, defense manufacturing companies. I mean, they're basically the ones that rule the world. And that, you know, that's why we'll always be at war. That's why they'll, they'll never allow any peace. And it was such a, a very negative experience for me at the time, like, having this conversation with this person. I actually felt like, oh, he's so negative, you know. Can he think about things in a positive way? And, and you know, at, at some point I realized, I'm like, oh, my, he's actually right. You know, this is exactly what's happening. And there's what what can be done about that? You know, the amount of power that those companies have. Well, I mean, what seriously, what can be done about it? Right. And and I, that's a great question. And uh, it it all brings me back to the uh, initial question. Initial, uh, focus we had you know living intentionally in in uh amidst that how do you know that it seems it it's it's imperative that one does so that you are not just caught up in that sort of current uh and it's overwhelming and you might think there's no way that i can affect uh change with my own one little personhood so I'm going to disconnect from from it. Maybe that's why a lot of people seemingly don't care or don't aren't doing as much about it as we might like because they just seem, you know, they 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 feel they couldn't. They they couldn't well, it, they couldn't be living. They can't make decisions to change things and to, to that great extent. And that's what I think that inundation is about. They want people to feel paralyzed. They want them to feel so overwhelmed all the time by everything that they don't know how to proceed, uh, you know, mindfully. That really seems to be the goal um, through television, you know, media. Um, I, I, I really think, you know, and actually that one of the things that people can do is just turn off the TV, you know, don't, don't support any of the news networks that are, um, you know, obviously biased and um, spread propaganda, search their for their own sources, you know, just be a good person. That's the biggest thing that people can do. That's the, that's the most basic thing that people can do is just be a positive, good person. And that, you know, that would have a ripple effect if everyone were doing that. I agree. I think some folks would respond to that saying that's that's uh, first of all, what does it mean to be a good person? And then second of all, it's that's naive, you know, because you'll get eaten up. The world will eat you up. I do don't you... believe that. I definitely don't. I mean, I I believe if you make yourself vulnerable to others, uh, that the world might eat you up. But if you do so in a way, you know, if you're if you're intentional about it and mindful and strong enough to to not allow. Um, that negative energy to overtake your positive energy that you can really affect change. I like it, Rachel. I like it. So 
we solved a lot of the world's problems. Uh, let's move on. Did we solve them? Oh, they're so, they're solved. Yeah, we have a, we have a nice list of uh, approaches and and some real substance here that we could spread, and things will be better probably within six months. Um, <laughs> let's hope so. <laughs> but I want to talk to you. We have maybe oh about eight minutes or so. Let's talk a okay. little bit. Let's shift and talk a little bit more about you and what you're doing. Um, I know. Uh, you're in the studio. I know you've uh, been taking a film class, Hans Zimmer film, film class. You're also taking a class, Berkeley College of Music, music production. Um, you have some gigs coming up. Where do you, where do you want to talk about that? Where do you want to go with, with that stuff? Um, well, I, I want to say that the Berkeley class I'm taking is phenomenal. Um, I decided to take a music production course because because I'm working on my album and I really wanted to be able to define my own sound uh, and not have to rely on an outside producer to do that. Because what happens a lot of time when people make an album, you know, they have some rough songs and then they go to someone who's sort of a master producer and that person really shapes their sound uh, and what it will become. And I want it to be more of a collaborative effort. I want to... I want to have enough knowledge, you know, to be able to implement the things that I hear in my head that are very specific. And it's exciting. I mean, yeah, I, I love being a student. Um, I don't I don't love being in um, in school. <laughs> I love being a student, though. <laughs> I love learning. I'll just put it that way. And uh, what about the film class? How are you just taking that for fun? Uh, it's not necessarily for fun. I have always really been interested in composing music for film, and you know, I, I'm not a master uh, musician or anything. Like I'm not, you know, a trained classical pianist or anything like that. Uh, but you know, I I have a lot of ideas and. Uh, I, I really, there, there's so many areas of music that I want to explore and, um, it, it's just something that I've always really wanted to do. And it was actually a Christmas present <laughs> from my boyfriend in the class. So, uh, I'm taking advantage of it. Go Yanis. That's a nice present. <laughs> yes. Um, but it, it's very interesting. I mean, I'm doing these courses online, you know, because I have my, um, health, reasons and limitations that I can't really go physically to a school. And, I, you know, I think online education is quite revolutionary. I think it's really interesting oh, having that kind of access. It is. What, what is something? Well, Hans Zimmer. Who's Hans Zimmer? Um, he's a film composer. Uh, German, I believe. Uh, yeah, I think he's German. And uh, he, I mean, he's done huge films um like you know the batman films uh the hunger games you know i mean he's probably one of the most well-known film composers uh, <laughs> i'm sorry i should know him i am pleading my ignorance sorry uh, you probably do know i mean if you were to hear any of his scores you would say i know that <laughs> oh the hunger games uh, for sure and i love i love uh, the the musical scores on the hunger games films they're fantastic um, Inception, King Kong. I mean, he he does the blockbusters. Um, 
and this this is just one of those uh, it's called a master class and you sort of get like a a peek into his personal process and it, I mean it's fascinating it's really interesting um, what have you learned comes up uh, well that the most important thing in film composing is uh, creating a theme you know a theme for your story uh, think about all of the great film compositions uh, ever they start with a very simple uh, small theme which is just a series of notes repeated and you'll you'll hear that at different uh, times throughout each film and it, it's the main emotional focus uh, of the story the theme has to support that that main emotional focus like wh what what is going to remind the person watching the film of what what the main story is I, I think one of the most, uh, the one that pops into my head, and I think uh, is is pretty uh, solid in that regard, is is The Godfather, right? Some, oh, for sure. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, and just a few notes, right? Exactly. Yeah, I mean, you, uh, but that's iconic, and that's really how you pull people in. Um, so that that was sort of a really revolutionary concept to learn. <laughs> Yeah, you know, you and I have worked together in a couple of uh, theatrical productions, and you're always my my uh, expert, my director of, of music, and uh, this is great. In the future, when we work together again, as I presume we will, this is going to benefit our productions. Good. Excellent. I'm, I'm, I'm oh, excited. it definitely will. I'm learning a lot. <laughs> Excellent. We'll have to create a theme, you know, that, that will be the... Uh... You'll, you'll need a theme for whatever we're doing. We'll have to have a, a very specific cinematic theme. I, I'm there. I'm, I, I love it. <laughs> uh, and, and the album, is there, is there a theme to your album in terms of the lyrics and the, the feel that you're working on now? Um, there is. It, I would say that this album is about being emotionally hijacked, uh, <laughs> overtaken, uh, in a lot of different ways when things become like completely that they seem like they're out of your control. I like it. And is there, that's a great uh, title for a song or for an album, emotionally hijacked. I like that in and of itself. Well, the album has a different name, but I'm not going to reveal it okay. yet. <laughs> Suspense is good. When is it out? When is it due out? Um, I'm hoping sometime in the summer, but again, you know, it all, it all goes into production and what, what can be accomplished and you know there sometimes there could be a lot of setbacks so i don't want to make any promises but i'm really hoping by the summer i i want to uh play a tune this week of yours on the program and the the one i want to play i don't know if i have access to it you're gonna hopefully give me it um okay yeah i'm here so what is that the name of, is that the title of the song i remember that's the refrain I'm here. Oh no! It's called um, Oceans. Oceans. That's that right. Oceans. Oceans. Yeah. Yeah. I'd like to play Oceans if possible. Uh, I will have to send you a recording. I will look for one that will be suitable for radio play. <laughs> that would be great. Uh, I just have an acoustic version. I don't have an album version to that yet that I could send you, but I could send you an acoustic version. Yeah. I'm. I'm. Whatever. If you're happy with it, I'd love to share it. Okay. Yeah. We can do that. And do you have any, um, go ahead, I'm sorry. Oh, no, that's all right. Do you have any gigs coming up that you want to share with uh, at least our local listeners? Maybe some folks would want to come in and uh, from out of town to, to see you perform. I've, you know, I love your, your, uh, 
I don't know how I'd put it. It's not just a regular gig. You have, I mean, you're 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 really you're really good. <laughs> you're really good, and it's worth a, a drive, ladies and gentlemen, to come and, and hear Rachel Lucille Woodworth perform. You know, maybe some some of our listeners from Kenya will fly in. You know, we have a lot of listeners in Kenya. I honest to God, Rachel, isn't that odd? That's fantastic. I mean, I think that's wonderful. Hello, everyone in Kenya. That's amazing. <laughs> I know it is. Um, so, when are your gigs uh, coming up in the in the near future? Where where are they? When are they? Um, well, this upcoming Thursday, which would be April twentieth, um, I have a gig at On and On. Uh, in Scranton on Lackawanna Avenue, 518 Lackawanna Avenue. And that is an antique store. Uh, And this gig is for Third Thursday, which is the new First Friday kind of celebration uh, going on in Scranton. Uh, And that's 6 to 9, April 20th from 6 to 9. And then on May 21st, I'm playing a benefit uh, for a cause called We Are Lionhearted, which deals with uh, women's issues of abuse and women's rights. And that will be at Luzerne County Community College. And that's an all-day event. I believe it starts at noon, and it goes until about 9 um, in the evening. And then on June 8th, I'm really excited. Uh, I'm going to participate uh, in the Pen Live sound check which is an online streamed concert uh, from the Penn Live uh, Facebook page. And they're located in Central, PA. Uh, and it's something like the NPR Tiny Desk. Uh, you oh, know, you yeah. do a concert and it's in yeah. their newsroom. Yeah, I love that. Um, so those are my main things coming up. There may be things in between, but those are, those are the ones, the big ones that are coming up. So for the Penn Live, just go to the Facebook page and, uh, and, and they could uh, stream from there? Yes, and you know that that could be worldwide. So if anyone in Kenya wants to access that, it would be Pen Live P E capital P E N N capital L I V E dot. I don't know if you have to put dot com, but it would just be Pen Live on Facebook. Yeah. And uh, that's wonderful. Yeah, I'm really excited about all those things. And um, any closing thoughts, Rachel Lucille Woodworth, before we we say until next time closing thoughts well just just live well everyone and mindfully and with passion and be in touch with the things you love and the people you love and we will get through this wonderful thank you dear friend we'll see you soon uh, maybe thursday uh yeah hopefully you can come down um so my artist name is little star run too if anyone wants to find me on facebook or any social media um that's one word, little star run. Um, and I hope to see you there. <laughs> Take care. Enjoy the coffee table. Oh, thank you. <laughs> Definitely will. Ciao.
An op-ed piece published in the New York Times, Friday, April 14, 2017, titled The Point of Hate by NFLs. On Palm Sunday, two suicide bombers killed 44 worshippers at Egyptian churches. What compels someone to do such a destructive and self-destructive thing? The fundamental answer is simple, hate. But there's nothing simple about hate. Lately, it seems like hate is in the air, including in the United States, where hate crimes are reportedly on the rise. Like most people, I'm horrified by this outpouring of venom. But as a psychiatrist who tries to understand feelings, I also find myself asking, what is the underlying motivation? And what is it about hate that makes it different from other reactions, like anger or frustration? Clearly, evolution has persevered hate as a powerful motivating force. Is there perhaps a benefit to experiencing hate? A 2008 study of the human brain experiencing this emotion confirms that there is a distinct, quote, hate circuit of activated neurons. Several of the brain regions involved are known to generate aggression and to translate that aggression into action, in this case, revenge. Strangely, other parts overlap with regions of the brain engaged by feelings of romantic love. Love is accompanied by the deactivation of areas that generate reasoning and judgment. As any poet can tell you, the critical faculties of an infatuated person are lost or at least attenuated. Individuals experiencing hate, on the other hand, retain nearly all their capacity for evaluating a situation. Neuroscientists have suggested that rational planning is maintained because, quote, the hater may want to exercise judgment in calculating moves to harm, injure, or otherwise extract revenge. Hardly an encouraging conclusion. So, suicide bombers are not acting out of blind rage or desperation, despite the fact that their revenge appears to run counter to the evolutionary theory that our actions are determined by our reproductive self-interest. Such acts are called, quote, altruistic punishments. Retaliation that doesn't provide a genetic benefit to the individual or even to his or her immediate gene pool. Evolutionary psychologists, neuroscientists, psychiatrists, and economists have all studied this puzzling impulse to extract revenge and have come up with a surprising theory that such punitive actions may have evolved to protect the complex communities in which humans live. In its most extreme form, hate motivates the altruistic punishment of organized warfare, a necessity for the defense of any society. In his trilogy on the Allies in World War II, the historian Rick Atkinson describes it as the emotional engine needed to drive troops into battle for that, quote, just war. Allied officers were constantly fretting that the troops' hate levels weren't high enough. A memorandum urged commanders to, quote, teach the men to hate the enemy, to want to kill them by any means. George Patton's aide praised him as, quote, a great hate builder. Dwight Eisenhower bragged, quote, I am not one who finds it difficult to hate my enemies. In war, hate is celebrated. 
But there is a more subtle aspect to the impulse for revenge. Researchers have found that it often arises to curb perceived infractions of cultural norms. It may help hold societies together by punishing those seen as breaking the social contract. Altruistic punishment flares when there is an inequitable allocation of resources or a transgression of cultural traditions, all threats to social coherence. Such acts of retribution appear to activate the brain's reward center, presumably generating a sense of satisfaction and even pleasure. This, of course, doesn't mean the punishment is just or directed at any justified target. Dylan Roof, after opening fire on a group of African Americans during Bible study, said, quote, I have to do this because you're raping our women and y'all taking over the world. In his mind, his community was the one being victimized. A feminist journalist I know sent me some of the hate mail she routinely receives. Here are a few of the principal lines. Quote, If you try telling a man what to do, you'll get punched across the face. Here's another. I'll go house to house shooting feminists like you. One characterized her as an, quote, omni-reptile dog-lizard piranha kin. The point is to hurt and humiliate. Those who hate want to make the objects of their hate suffer as they have. It is this that makes the attacks so personal and lends them their crude, violent, and often sexual nature. The intent is not to challenge opposing beliefs, but to destroy those who hold them. The men who wrote these emails undoubtedly feel threatened by the changing role of women, and their hatred of feminists provides an organizing principle and an outside focus. People who hate can blame others for their losses, reducing doubts about their own inadequacies. Hate converts a sense of helplessness into one of action, It can even be the impetus for the formation of new communities in which people share grievances and plans for retribution, relieving their sense of isolation or powerlessness. As a consequence, though, there's a loss of empathy, and beliefs become simplified and rigid. All this may help to explain why hate and its retributive punishments or on the rise. In a way, hate functions like a Geiger counter, signaling where there are serious disruptions of the social fabric, or where cultural beliefs are under the most stress, whether it be from a new awareness of inequality, diversity, or the radical redefinition of gender. Those who fail to hear these warnings and address the cultural dislocations they represent, will end up paying a steep price. They may even be hated.
As it were, the woodpecker, robin's red chest, cardinal sitting perched on the wood crest, and sunlight with late afternoon church chimes, all as the hum of this man's mind smiles a moment of happiness into all existence, as it were. And I'm just the same as any 
And there you have it, episode 223 of Troubadours and Rakan Tours, with yours truly, E.W. Conundrum Demure. I'd like to thank those folks that made this episode possible. First and foremost, my good friend, artist, musician, Rachel Lucille Woodworth. Nice talking with you. Also, like to thank psychiatrist, professor Anna Fells for her essay, and these musical artists Ernest Tubbs, Azjir, Beth Orton, Thievery Corporation, Calexico, and Jim James, Bradford Marsalis, and Terrence Blanchard, too. Until next week, have a great spring feast. <laughs>